0: Well, for those of you who don't know, this is Dr. Omar. The first question I actually have to ask you before we get into it is, how do you say your last name? Because we've been thinking, like, there's two last names, Joe and Andy, in it, but how do you actually pronounce it? I couldn't believe it's that simple.
1: (laughs) It is. just, Just the spelling, there's a silent D, so it's like Djokovic. You don't pronounce the D, so it's just Joe and Andy put together, Joe Andy. Well, simple, simple. Awesome. Well, we just want to, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh,
0: do you have a family? What do you do during during the week?
1: Kind of uh, yeah, so I do have a family, and a bit later I'll show you a photo of my family. And I serve as the National Director of SIM Australia, and my week varies depending on whether I'm away. So, I've been away this week in Melbourne, part of Missions Interlink Conference, that's the peak body of mission organisations, I serve on the board. Um, there was one other question. What do I do on my day off or something, was it? Or yeah, it was I don't get a do day do off. No, no, no. no. Yeah, yeah. I do. I, I'm fairly disciplined in taking a day off a Sabbath. Yeah. Why don't you share with us what exactly does SIM do? What's the
0: purpose of SIM?
1: Yes, yeah, so S-I-M stands for Serving in missions. So we serve or we partner with churches and help churches like yourselves to send people and funds and to pray for uh, some of the distressed communities around the world, particularly people who've never heard of Jesus Christ. So uh, Corey and Amber, Tobias and their kids, uh, they're in journeying with us to explore, to pray whether God might be sending them to Niger. Um, and then we would be looking to you to pray for them, support, join with them as they be a light to the people in Niger. Oh, that's great.
0: Um, another thing be, I guess would be interesting to get to know you better was how did you yourself become a Christian? Um,
1: Yeah, I don't think it was just a one point. Uh, My parents are followers of Jesus from a fairly young age. I had an awareness of God. I cannot recall a time that I really doubted the existence of God. Um, It was more about how do I relate with him. We came to Australia um, when I was young and then about the age of 11 at a vacation Bible school was when it really hit me that just because my parents believed in Jesus, that did not automatically make me into a follower of Jesus. And so that was the time that I could think of praying and that I surrendered to receive the forgiveness. But what does an 11-year-old know about Jesus as Lord, to be honest? I mean, I try to stop picking on my little sister. Um, And I think from that point onwards, my mother noticed that I did fight less with my sister and my big brother. My big brother was a bit bigger than me, so maybe I was smarter by then. And I realized I kept losing the fights. Um... So in terms of Jesus as Lord, it wasn't till later. And it was through having a bone marrow infection in my left leg. I, had a, I was in and out a hospital. And the third time I was in hospital, I remember thinking I was quite angry with God. Um, I used to play a lot of basketball. I know I'm not very tall, but I'm quick. And, and so I used to be a good guard. And I had the potential to play for our school team. You know, for a 16-year-old, that's the biggest dream, uh, to impress the girls. And... <laughs> There I was in the hospital and the slightest movement would shoot off a pain up my hip and I felt helpless. But because it was the third time I was in and I was thinking, this is getting rather monotonous. Maybe I should stop being angry and maybe I should start listening to God. And it's not that I heard an audible voice, but I had a discovery that not many people do, even into their adult life. That I had very little control of my life. I couldn't make myself get better just to move cause pain and it's almost like I said well Lord unless you're going to heal me I'll be here the rest of my life or worse I could lose my leg like if the infection kept spreading that was one of the options was to amputate my leg Um, and then I thought well that's what it means to have Jesus as Lord to have little control of our lives and to surrender um, so that's really the starting journey of knowing what it means to have Jesus as Lord.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing. Well, we're really excited uh, to hear from you now. Why don't I, I pray for you uh, as we get into God's Word. Mm. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our, our brother Omar. Thank you for the work that you've done in his life. Uh, thank you for his testimony. Thank you that, that you are his Lord and Savior. And we just ask now um, that um, by your Holy Spirit, you'll speak through him, that you'll Help us to have ears to hear um, what you have to say. Uh, and pray that you will challenge our hearts and help us to seriously consider, Lord, um, where you may be calling us and whether you may be calling us to, well, we know you're calling us to step out of our comfort zone, but, but where that may be, we don't. So I pray that you even give direction on that tonight. Lord, um, help us. Uh, in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thanks Amen. So.
1: Amen. Thank you, Cam, and thank you to the other pastors. I'm Matt John and I'm Matt Uh, To the leaderships of Canterbury Gardens for giving me the privilege to share from God's Word. And for the growing partnership. So we look forward to a partnership as we uh, facilitate the uh, Tobias family to serve the Lord in Niger. Um, Also the Ottoson family are here and there may be others that I'm not aware of. And I'm aware that you as a church have been praying for and supporting other S.I.M. missionaries. Uh, In terms of um, introduction, sometimes I say to new groups of people that I'm CIA, uh, nothing to do with chasing terrorists, but I'm ethically Chinese. I was born in Indonesia. At the age of 10, our family emigrated to Australia, so I'm Chinese, Indonesian, Australian. Back in 71, it was a very different Australia. Does anyone know what the immigration policy was called back in 71? Any history buffs? It's an embarrassing phase of Australian history. It was called the White Australia Policy. As you can see, I'm not white. So when I went to year seven at high school, um, how, many whites, I mean, how many non-whites do you reckon was in my year at school? One, just me. And so kids the world over, they always pick on somebody who's different, so I got bullied a lot. As you can see, I'm not very big. I didn't learn Kung Fu, so I couldn't bash them. and a lot of the tauntings and woundings they they really struck my heart so um, some lunch times I'd be on my own um, because that way I didn't get taunted at the age of 16 was when God opened my eyes that throughout this world there are millions of people who've never heard of Jesus Christ and I responded to an invitation I came to the front of our church to say here am I Lord I'm willing to go wherever you want to send me what could a wounded, shy, introverted 16-year-old do? So I thought, well, if I studied medicine as a medical doctor, I could demonstrate the practical love of Jesus. And try to imagine, I grew up in the widest part of Sydney. I go to University of New South Wales, and on day one, I had culture shock. All these foreigners, I thought, where did they come from? (laughs) And one step at a time, God gave me the courage to start connecting with students from Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand, and one step at a time, I started sharing the good news of Jesus. To be honest, I'm not sure that any of them came to know the Lord. But you know, we're not responsible for that; it's their decision. Um, all Jesus asks of us is to share our lives and our words. Um, so then, where were at Chinese, Indonesian, Australian study theology? Obviously, Africa. And because by then God was showing me to, that he was sending me to Africa. So I did my medical elective term in Nigeria, in Jos. I visited uh, Galmi Hospital in Niger. Um, that's in the same country where the Tobias family might be heading off to. So you just never know what's around the corner if you follow Jesus. And, and I know for the younger people, you know, you've got your life choices and you sort of such so much anxiety. What if you get it wrong or whatever? All Jesus asks of us is to take one step at a time. Have a go. If you talk to me at the age of 16, that one day you'll be able to preach. And, and I've spoken at large churches when in Kenya. I was on radio and TV. If you had said that when I was 16, I would think you're crazy. I meet people who knew me back in high school. They can't imagine that I could speak in public, that I could go on radio or TV because they remembered how shy I was uh, back then. So my years in Kenya, I had lots of adventure. I survived being chased by an elephant. Didn't survive being chased by a woman. No, I I did the chasing. Um, Kay is originally from America. We met there, got married the following year. Um, And then because we decided to make Australia home, we spent some years for her to gain citizenship in Australia. I went back to general practice and then God called us a second time to go to Nairobi to be part of a fast-growing church called Nairobi Chapel um, that grew from about 800 people in 98. It actually began as a brethren church of 20 people back in 89. Um, and God just did amazing work uh, through the people who revived that church. Uh, fast forward, in '04, I came back to Australia to serve in this role. With a Chinese-Indonesian-Australian dad and American mum, you might think our kids are confused... Uh, they look reasonably well-adjusted. Eric's a physio, Rachel studying law and arts, and this moment is actually in Turkey for six months to homeschool uh, the children of missionaries who've just recently gone there uh, so that both mom and dad can focus on language learning and Stephen's in second year uni. I'm going to speak on following Jesus in his mission I've deliberately chose a long title. If you do classes on preaching, sometimes you're told that you're supposed to keep your titles short. So why would I make it a long title? Why not just say, following Jesus? Why add in his mission? You know, It might be more memorable if I just said, following Jesus. Why would I bother to put in his mission? Guesses? This is the bit that you can say a little bit. <laughs> As long as you don't talk too much, then it gets a bit embarrassing if I have to say, you know, I remind you that I'm the speaker. But anyway, <laughs> guess us. Why keep the long title? Spells it out. Uh-huh. Someone at the front. More descriptive. What else? That is about his mission. And you were saying so easy... Yeah, so easy to follow Jesus doing what we want to do. Um, So when we came back to Australia, we didn't have much savings because Kay and I spent the bulk of our years serving overseas. Uh, My parents helped us with deposit, uh, but we didn't have much money. So it made it easy for me because there were only five houses we looked at because that's all we could afford, the bottom end of the market. In fact, when we were moving in, a friend, as they helped us move in, they looked around and said, this is a nice house for a first house. I thought, I think that's a compliment. (laughs) But if we're still in the same house 24 years later, is that a compliment or a bit of an insult? Well, Stephen, between the age of 8 and 12, he struggled with the house we lived in. He was quite embarrassed about our house because all his friends, except for one, lived in better houses. And we had conversations that went something like this. When Stephen would say to me, Dad, I wish you had stayed working as a medical doctor in Australia because then you could have earned lots of money. We could buy a bigger house, two stories with a swimming pool and you could buy me. He had a long list of things I could buy him. Tried to explain, Stephen, for your mum and I, life is not about the house we live in or the car we drive. It's about following Jesus and doing what he wants us to do. Stephen replied, Dad, you can just say you follow Jesus and do whatever you want. People at church do that. Stephen, at the age of between 8 and 12, he said, just say you follow Jesus and do whatever you want. People at church do that. What confused Stephen was that many of his friends, where are they on Sundays? They're at church. So he's looking and he's saying, why do they get to live in a mansion and they say they follow Jesus? So I do want to be clear. It's not about following Jesus and doing whatever we want. It's following Jesus in his mission. Let me give you some moments to reflect. If you were to analyze and assess your life, what difference does following Jesus make on your life? If you think of certain areas, for example, your relationships, how you do relationships, your ambition, what are your dreams and plans for the future, your lifestyle, priorities, the choices you make, where you invest your time or your investments, if you were to show your credit card spending, your bank account, to what extent can someone tell that you're a follower of Jesus? And the point of this is not to guilt anyone, Um, whatever score you give yourself, what would it take to grow, to keep going up to the next level? In Mark chapter 1, Jesus said, Come follow me and I'll make you happy. Is that what Jesus said? Come follow me and I'll make your dreams come true. So all those are the sentiments from the Aussie good life translation. It's a form of heresy. Because then we end up worshipping ourselves instead of worshipping Jesus. Jesus makes it clear, come follow me and I will make you fishers of people. And look at the response for Peter and his disciples. He says, at once they left their nets and followed him. What did the nets represent for Peter and his mates? In our modern analogy, their livelihood, their money, their security, their jobs, their superannuation plan, their significance... They were known in community as fishermen. So have we left our nets to follow Jesus? Our identity, our security, our personal plans to fulfill the mission of Jesus. I believe to follow Jesus in 21st century Australia is extremely difficult and if I could be blunt, can I be blunt and um, just talk straight, ask hard questions? You see, in the culture that I come from and working in Africa, you're supposed to beat around the bush and give hints. But hey, I've only got you know limited time. We'll be here all night if I just drop hints. But I think if you're not finding following Jesus extremely difficult, could it be that we just say we follow Jesus and doing whatever we want? because it cost Peter and his mates everything to follow Jesus. So to follow Jesus in his mission, the first step is to keep fighting. And daily, many moments through the day, the fight to fight the temptation to follow Jesus on our terms. Do you know what are the terms and conditions that you've given to the Lord Jesus and to say, I will follow you if you comply to these terms and conditions? That might sound callous, But I have friends who used to follow Jesus. They went through suffering and they stopped following Jesus. What was their terms and conditions? No suffering. I have friends who were following Jesus back at university, even led Bible study groups. They went through a season when they were looking for someone they could marry. They couldn't find anyone who was a follower of Jesus. They ended up marrying an unbeliever and they've stopped following Jesus. What was their terms and conditions? that, Lord, that you provide me with a wife. So Peter and his friends, they started well, but this next passage we'll read in Mark 8 showed what Peter's terms and conditions are. Because Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. Jesus spoke plainly about this. And look at Peter's response. Peter took Jesus aside. I don't know what's in your mind now as you try to imagine this scene. This happened all in public. Nothing happened in private in those days. Jesus, Peter took Jesus aside and began to tell him off. That's what the word rebuke means in case you didn't know. Can you imagine a human being telling off the son of God? That's what Peter did. And before we're too hard on Peter, when was the last time you told off Jesus? Because he didn't comply to your terms and conditions. Sometimes we do it passively, passive aggressive. Peter at least was honest. And look at what Jesus how Jesus responded, he turned and looked at his disciples. Notice that Jesus looked at the disciples, not just at Peter. He knew many, if not all, the disciples were struggling similarly. And he said, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Peter, who started well way back then, left his nets and everything, over time drifted and started thinking following Jesus was about him. Remember, they used to argue as disciples who would be a Jesus on his Jesus right and left. Peter thought he was the best. So it's a temptation to all of us to follow Jesus on our own terms. And I'm not talking about the theory of following Jesus, or to quote Stephen, just say you follow Jesus. It must be translated into action. The theory that people need to hear the good news, well, the action is that even as a shy, introverted, first-year university student, I asked God to help me that I could share the good news with these students from overseas. I made loads of mistakes. As I said, I'm not sure that if anyone came to commit their lives to Jesus... But even as I got ridiculed at times and people thought I was an idiot and all that, it kept reminding me life was not about me, what people thought of me. Life was about Jesus. And that all Jesus asked of me is to be a witness. And you get that upward spiral. Being in a house, I freely admit it was hard for me. It's still hard for me to think that my son thinks of me as a bit of a failure compared to the dads of his friends because they lived in better houses. They're all the good reminders. Life is not about me. It's not about what other people think of me. It's about what Jesus thinks of me. In Australia, we struggle with the whirlpool of self-absorption. The advertising in Australia, some of the best in the world, constantly bombards us with the messages that life is about you. You're the most important. I mean, think about it. When was the last time you saw anything on Uh, TV, on radio, on social media that reminded you life's not about you. It is about Jesus and his kingdom. So we're caught up in this whirlpool. And what happens if you're caught up in a whirlpool and you do nothing? You just get sucked in. So fight, whether it be concerns about our career or lifestyle, possessions, mortgage. And let me give you 20 seconds to think, Identify where you might be tempted to be self-absorbed. What gives this whirlpool power is that the world essentially defines success according to what you possess the house we live in, the cars we drive, the gadgets we have, the phones or the relationships, you know, whether you have a beautiful uh, girlfriend or a good-looking boyfriend. Um, it's what we have. And so when we're immersed in this, we've got to keep fighting um, because Jesus directly contradicted the world's definition of success when he says, Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A person's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. Or in the New Living Translation, real life is not measured by how much we own. So out of my own struggles, my dad thought of me as a failure when I was leaving medicine. My son thinks of me as a failure at times. And so particularly when I was um, studying in Africa and all that, my dad didn't want to communicate to me because his ideal for my life was to be a highly successful medical doctor. Um, I went back to the Word of God. What does Jesus say about success? And the other interesting thing I find is that we often say we follow Jesus and we often don't even know what Jesus said. We often don't know Jesus' words. So what does Jesus say about success? If you read on Luke chapter 12, he talks about that to be a success in God's eyes is to be rich towards God. And that's to be dependent on God as his children, to be kingdom-minded instead of self-absorbed, and to be generous to the poor. Jesus then corrected the disciples, and he said to the crowd, If anyone would come after me, he or she must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Jesus made it very clear that to follow him, it will cost us everything, because he is worthy of nothing less. I love the honesty of Jesus. He's saying, I'm asking for everything, but you work it out. Because he said, went on to say, "What what good is it for a person to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can a person give in exchange for their soul? In other words, if you and I are not willing to give up everything to follow Jesus, it will cost us everything, our soul. Sometimes when I read these words, the person that comes to my mind is Steve Jobs. Who would not want to be Steve Jobs? People thought he had the world. To have such creativity of mind to invent everything Apple, but he still got cancer. He spent millions of dollars, all sorts of alternative medicine. He still died of cancer. As far as I know, Steve Jobs never acknowledged that all his creativity were gifts from the Creator, God. And he never submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. He gained the whole world, yet he lost his soul. So it is really hard to fight the temptation of following Jesus in our own terms. And the great news is that we don't have to do it in our own strength. Jesus is the Messiah, And we can rely on him to rescue us from ourselves, from the whirlpool of self absorption. And it's Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, who says to us, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the reason I share about my struggles, being wounded, and so on, is because I know many of you have similar struggles. I believe every single person has been deeply wounded somewhere. The issue is what do we do with our wounds? Are we just going to let them fester or become bitter or do we ask the Lord to heal us and to receive his empowering one step at a time to share the good news of Jesus. So out of this verse this uh, verse a straightforward definition for me about mission is simply to be his witness local family and friends, people around us who don't know Jesus, cross-cultural. God is bringing people from all over the world to our doorsteps. As I said, it's very different in Australia today. Ironically, the high school that I went to, carrying by high now, has become a selective school. So guess how many non-whites are in that school? The majority now are non-whites. They're, they're Asian or Indian uh, background. And so God is bringing people from all over the world to our doorsteps, and we need to make the most of those opportunities. Also to be global, because if all of us keep staying in Australia, how will people in other parts of the world, who at this very moment cannot shake the hands of a believer, how will they ever get to know about Jesus? So S.I.M. was started by three young men who, out of love for God, love for people who've never heard of Jesus, left the safety and comforts of the West, went to a part of West Africa that is now called Nigeria. Uh, tragically, all three were struck down by a fever and two died. But even out of that adversity, just in Nigeria alone today, we have over 6,000 churches, 6 million believers, and they're sending out missionaries. And SIM has over 1,800 missionaries. And our international director is Nigerian. And he often gives thanks to God that someone left the safety and comforts of the West and shared the good news with his parents. Just a bit of a reality check. The countries in red are the with the highest population or ratio between the people living in those countries and the number of workers, the number of witnesses. So if God were to send you to Pakistan and you're alone, um, you only have an easy task of reaching 240,000 people. So as much as the needs are great in Australia... You go to Bangladesh, for every one worker, a witness in Bangladesh, they need to reach 140,000 people. Uh, Niger, where with the Tobias family gatherings, it's a bit hard to get statistics, but probably about one, they would need to reach about 50,000, 60,000 people each. How will they hear? So what would it look like if you were to surrender and to say, Lord Jesus, would you give me the honor and the privilege to share your good news? with people who this moment cannot shake the hand of somebody who's a follower of Jesus. And you probably think, there's no way I could do that. I'll be like this donkey, totally helpless. But isn't that a great picture of faith? If we're in control, why do we need faith? Why do we need to be empowered? So the next time God gives you an opportunity, nudging you to share the good news with somebody and you're nervous, anxious, you've got butterflies, you're sweating, you probably feel like this donkey, that's a great opportunity to rely on God's empowering rather than on ourselves and then take the step. So the third point, so firstly, is you keep on fighting the temptation to follow Jesus on our terms. Second point is to keep remembering he is the one who empowers us. The third is don't just keep theorizing, just do it. Do the action. Uh, Pray. Pray is a great action. And when we've got resource, we've got prayer guides. Uh, This one is the Desert Tribes in North Africa. Some of them are in the area that the Tobias family might be working at. Um, And this one is on China. And so like in your small groups, what would it look like in our small groups, in our personal prayer time, if we spend over half of our time not praying about ourselves, but praying for people who don't know Jesus. That's a way we could fight the whirlpool of self-absorption. If you want more information, you could go online or or there are magazines there as well. Then to give, give courageously. And you might think I'm a student. Um, I, I don't really earn much money. Learn to give courageously while you have little. Because if you don't learn to give courageously while you have little, guess what happens when you have more? It'll be the same. Give courageously and then go. And please remember when I say go, I don't mean getting on a plane, getting out there. Some of us, God wants to send out, but go to our family, friends, people around us who don't know Jesus, people we work and study with, whoever. Might be somebody on the train, on the bus. Share about Jesus. Lastly, I want to talk about the motivation. Why bother? Why not just... Stayed the way we've been doing the same old. Because I, I hope you're clear that to follow Jesus in his mission will involve suffering. Have I been honest about that? We will be ridiculed, especially in Australia. Um, if, God, if we follow Jesus abroad, it will mean um, we might get left behind in our career. Uh, we'll go downwardly mobile in our lifestyle choices. So why bother doing all that? Why not do a Stephen? Just say you follow Jesus and do whatever you want. Ultimately, it's got to be our motivation, and that's got to be avoiding guilt or fear, but love. The only motivation that will last is love. Love for God and love for people. And I'll just close with a story. When I was first heading off to Africa um, back in '86 my friends wanted to give me a good farewell party. And at that time, in a fancy hotel in Sydney, they had a chocolate festival where it was really expensive. My friends paid for me. And you come into a huge ballroom with all these tables, everything chocolate you could imagine. You know, the parfait, those liqueur-scented chocolate, ice cream, cheesecake, you name it, it was there. And it was a buffet, you could eat as much as you like. And I did. Eventually, I had to go to the bathroom. And I passed by another hall where there was a signboard of a medical conference, the top topics and the speakers. While I was washing my hands in the bathroom, two doctors walked in and I began to have these thoughts. You can enjoy this lifestyle. It doesn't have to happen because your friends paid for you. If you stay working as a medical doctor in Australia, seven to ten years you'll get invitations to conferences like this. As a medical doctor in Australia, you'll be earning a lot of money, 15, 20 years' time you could stay in hotels like this for your holidays you're giving up this lifestyle throwing it away what for is it worth it you could imagine while I was washing my hands with those deep thoughts I, they were sterile I could have done surgery
2: <laughs>
1: you might be tempted to ask the same question is it worth it would you please remember that's the wrong question True, I have given up that lifestyle. I can't afford to stay in hotels like that for my holidays. But why did I give up that lifestyle? It wasn't for my home church, Caramba Baptist, or it wasn't to join S.I.M. The question needs to always be, is he worth it? Is Jesus worth that much? And I had one of those unnerving Experience As if the Lord Jesus walked into that bathroom and asked me, Omar, am I worth this much to you? The presence of Jesus felt so real, I almost cried and I wanted to shout, Yes, Jesus, you're worth this much and much more because you died for me. Paul puts it best in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, 15, When he said the love of Christ compels us because we're convinced that one died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves but live for him who died for us and was raised again. Jesus is worthy of my entire devotion. Jesus is worthy to be worshipped by people of all nations. Will you stand as we close in prayer? Let's spend some moments of quietness to listen to the Lord Jesus. And especially for you to respond to Jesus, to declare to him from the depths of your heart what he is worthy of from you. Father, we come to you as your daughters and sons. And your word says that everything lies naked before you because you can see us completely. And while that's a fearful thing on the one hand, on the other, we thank you that we can come to you just as we are. You know our temptations, our weaknesses, and you are the Messiah, the rescuer, and where the Lord Jesus might have been convicting you, where you might be tempted, or maybe where you succumb to the temptations to be self absorbed, I invite you to confess to the Lord Jesus. And receive God's word when he says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That in Christ there is no condemnation. So when the Holy Spirit convicts is to draw us closer to him. Receive his forgiveness. And while we feel helpless to fight the temptation, the whirlpool of self-absorption, remember that He empowers us. Many of us feel weak to be His witnesses. Would you receive His empowering? Remember, it's Jesus who says to us in Acts 1.8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let us go from here, being his witnesses. And I want to give an invitation for you to an out, do an outward sign, to do something in action. So, if you want to surrender to the Lord Jesus, just where you are to raise your hand. I will not ask you to come to the front or to do anything else. In raising your hand, I'm asking that that would be a sign that you're saying to the Lord Jesus, I surrender. And you're responding as I did at the age of 16, the words of Isaiah, Here am I, Lord, send me to be your witness, wherever that might be. Maybe it's to my fellow workers or students, or maybe it is to the ends of the earth. But in surrendering, you're acknowledging that Jesus is Lord and that you will follow him in his mission. So if that's the cry of your heart, just where you are, I invite you to raise your hand. Or maybe Jesus is convicting you to change your lifestyle so that you can give generously and courageously. And that's a major step. So if that's what the step he's convicting you about, and you want to say, I surrender, Lord, you are worthy of all my possessions, all my potential of earnings. You are worthy. And you might want to raise your hand as an outward sign. So just where you are to to raise your hand. Please remember, I'm not asking you whether you are capable to be his witness. It's not about our abilities. I'm asking whether you are willing, whether you are available to come just as you are. But it's Jesus who's Lord from here on. Lord, would you hear the cries of our hearts and I pray particularly for my sisters and brothers who feel so weak and inadequate that you would help us to fix our eyes on you, Lord Jesus, not on ourselves, that you would empower us to be your witnesses. Would you anoint this church that there would continue to be a bright light to this community and even beyond, that you would send forth people from this community of faith to be your witnesses, cross-cultural, and to the ends of the earth. We commit one another, Father, to you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much, Omar, for that uh, really challenging message. I just want to encourage you all, even as we we go and have dinner and eat together, just to to talk about uh, this with one another, but but also, you know, as you go home and eventually you come to that space where you're alone or you're on your bed or wherever you, to actually talk to God about this, to actually say to Him that you surrender and to listen uh, to Him and what He can, where He's leading you. So I just challenge you not to let this message slip by, but to to really consider it before before God. Um, let me pray. Lord, thank you for this uh, awesome night. Thank you for the way that. Um, we're able to see your mission. Um, I just pray, Lord, you help us to surrender our hearts to, do, to you, to each day surrender our hearts to you. Um, protect us from the evil one. Help us not to get, to get sucked into the constant distractions and the constant lies that, that uh, get given to us, Lord. Please guard us from those, Father. Help us to be re- renewed afresh and reminded of the gospel, that we are new creations in you that we have a new hope, we have a new life, and that life is to be about you. And so, Lord, help us honestly and openly to look at our hearts before you and to surrender anything that needs to be surrendered. And so, Lord, we commit that to you. We commit the food to you now as we eat, and I pray that you'll just bless the conversations we have and, and the rest of our night in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Dinner will be served up the back there. We're having burgers. It's uh, $10 if you want to give a donation towards that. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time. Oh, also, there is a... Um, at the back there, Sim has, a, uh, uh, I guess, a uh, set back there. Go and chat to Omar and Neil, um, and they can give you uh, information about the different uh, um, ministries and opportunities there. So go chat to them at the back. Shabu,
2: did you have something to... Do, yeah. Thanks, Cameron. Um, hey, uh, friends, just letting you know, so... Um, as Omar was sharing, I just wanted to um, say to you as a church family that if you're someone who's kind of like that 16 age and trying to go, oh, where, how's this going to go? How's this going to all fit? Um, one of the reasons why Canterbury Gardens has a missions committee is not to just care for the pastoral care of the missions uh, people on missions and, and care for them and love them, but actually walk alongside you to connect you with organizations like S.I.M. and others um, and and serve you. So you might be at the very early stage. So today, I, I know there's a few people who put their hand up. Uh, I was watching, so I'm going to come and say hi to you later. Um, but the, what I want to do though is let you know there's a church family that wants to walk alongside you and spur you on to follow Jesus's call. Okay? So don't leave here tonight. So there's a couple of the people here from the missions committee. I'm going to get them to come up the front. I know they they're going to love this. So there's Steve um, and Denise and Rob. Denise loves getting up the front. So so there's Denise and Rob. Um, so they're on the missions committee. As you're having a burger, maybe just come and chat to them. Um, we want to serve you, okay? So God bless. Okay, thanks.